ask you a question. How would you define the perfect Christmas? I don't know about you. Have you seen these cookies? I mean, there's like little cardinals on snow-capped trees. Here, enjoy. But you know what's funny? You take a bite out of it, Mike, and it becomes not so perfect, right? But if, if you were to... That was like totally random. Anyway, but if you were to describe the perfect Christmas... What would it look like for you? I don't know. Maybe it has to do with music. The other day, we had somebody that walked into our um, walked into the school and heard NSYNC playing through the loudspeaker and tweeted, "My day has been made." I just heard the NSYNC Christmas song. This is the best song in the world. I just added that to the tweet, but her husband quickly got on and said, um, "Speak for yourself, honey. That's not for me." Maybe the perfect Christmas for you is you think maybe not necessarily in sync or Mariah Carey, but it's Bing Crosby and White Christmas. Or maybe it's the song that's there, but you're sitting nestled around a fire. Maybe you're in your favorite chair with your favorite kids. Just huddled around the fire, enjoying life. Or maybe it's huddled around a tree. Maybe you're sitting there and you're hanging out around a tree and you're just relaxing. And when you think about Christmas, you think about the memories that are made around the tree or the gifts that were given that are underneath the tree. I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I think about the perfect Christmas, it really doesn't have much to do with the day of the week. I mean, it could be the 25th, it could be the 26th, it could be the 28th, it could be the 20th. But growing up as, as, a, as a kid and then into... My young adult years and, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden bringing extra people into the family because I married them or had them. Um, I didn't actually have them. My wife did, but I just <laughs> applauded because um, that's all you do, right? It's like, oh, I look so pain. Anyway, I digress. But for me, the perfect Christmas has always just been the family hanging out. I mean, we love games. In fact, growing up, there was always a new game under the tree that had for the family, right? It was the Johnson family gift. And it was one of the last ones that we opened. And the reason it was the last one we opened is because it was going to be the game as a family that we devoured and played and played and then continued to play and play and play. And I remember maybe five, six, eight years ago, I, it's, I, I was bringing Alden to the family. We played marbles. It's a fun game. It's a cool little game. It's not necessarily what you think. Like we don't bring our big marble and our small marbles in a bag like, ha. I'm going to beat you. No, we've, we've got these, these actually very elaborate boards that my dad has made. Um, and we sit around and it's kind of like sorry and trouble all rolled into one. And it's remarkably creative and competitive. And you just really need marriage counseling after you play it. But that's. <laughs> but I remember going home and we played this game, literally, I think 20 or 30 games. And the reason I know that is because we had a post-it note on the cabinets and Throughout the entire Christmas, outside of maybe just a little bit of eating fried shrimp and um, opening gifts, we were playing marbles. And literally, we were keeping a tally of who won because we're competitive like that. And we wanted to make sure that whoever won got their tally, right? So we, I don't know about you, but what, is a, what does a perfect Christmas look like in your eyes? And the unfortunate thing is, as we look at the perfect Christmas, oftentimes it never comes to be. In fact, this past year, we got to send my brother off to Brazil, my youngest brother, he and his wife. And they've got two kids now because they just gave birth to their second one. Um, we got to send them off to Brazil. And, and 
we're looking forward to and we're anticipating what Christmas will look like without a few little runts and without family members huddled around the tree. And, and for us, perfect Christmas has always been the family around the tree, around the Christmas table, enjoying life together. But I don't know where you stand. What does perfect look like for you? Because what I have found through the course of life is that Christmas has this, this uncanny ability to remind us of the imperfectness of our reality. Doesn't it though? I mean, you're probably already right now thinking about the Christmas meal that you've got to make tonight because you've got family coming over or you're already thinking about, okay, wait a second, what do I have to do? And if one thing goes wrong, what if the rolls get burnt? What if the meat is not quite as juicy as you wanted it to be? What if you were banking on an incredible Christmas bonus so you've already got the pool installed in the backyard? Next thing you know, Uncle Eddie shows up and you just got a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. You know that Jelly of the Month Club doesn't buy many pools, you know? But I don't know what your Christmas, your perfect Christmas looks like. But I I want us to reel it in for a minute because all of us, this time of the year, we have this ability of being reminded of what went wrong. We have this ability in the midst of the Christmas season to be reminded of the diagnosis, the frustration, the person that is going to be at the Christmas table that we so wish they weren't going to be there or the person that we wish was going to be at the Christmas table and this year they're not. We're getting ready, anxiously anticipating what it's going to look like and we're just praying, oh, please don't drink too much or please don't bring up politics or whatever you do, do not, do not. And we're getting ready for the Christmas season with all of these parameters and these struggles and we're bracing ourselves for what is likely going to be an imperfect Christmas. So what do we do with that? How do we reconcile the imperfections that we find this holiday season? How do we reconcile the struggles, the frustrations, the things that have come into our life? How do we make sense of it? You know, uh, I, I love the story of Jesus. In fact, I absolutely believe that there is something that we can glean from, something we can pull from, because just like the first Christmas, there were some remarkably imperfect scenarios that reared their ugly head and probably caused a lot of people to struggle, probably caused some people to question their faith, to question, to doubt, to struggle. I mean, is God really who he says he is? That I believe as we look at our current circumstances and as we look at Christmas As it's coming, by the way, it's tomorrow. As we look at Christmas for all the glitz and glamour. And then we remind ourselves of what's about to happen. I think that there's some value that we can lean into from that very first Christmas story. See, I want to read just a few passages from from the, the account of Luke. Luke was a remarkably smart man. He was a doctor, probably smart like many of you guys in here. Luke was one who he began to try to investigate and to figure out what does this look like? How can this be? This This Jesus guy came on the scene and he met with this crew of 12 that were really cowards and a little bit crazy. And then all of a sudden, something happened that turned their their cowardice into boldness, into this 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 surreal reality that they were going to do whatever it took to stand up for this man named Jesus. 
So Luke began to investigate and say, what happened? And Luke, who we believe got a lot of his information from Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, he gives us an account of the very first Christmas. And I want to read it to us. Many of you probably have read it before. For me, we, when I think about Luke chapter 2, the story of Christmas, I always think about my grandfather reading it to us rallying around all the grandkids and just and then and then relaying this message and here's where it starts in luke chapter 2 it says in those days caesar augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire roman world this was the first census that took place while quinerius was governor of syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem in the town of David, a lot of towns, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now that passage, that, that little phrase, there was no room for them in the inn, just, it's startling to me. I don't know if you've ever been in the scenario where you walk into a restaurant and you're like, hey, man, we we're excited about this. You walk up to the, the table and you're like, all right, um, we've got a Johnson party of four. And they look at you and they start scouring through and like, um... I hate to break it to you. Could you have used another name? And you're like, no, I, I, Scott Johnson. Is there a Scott? Is there a Johnson? You kind of get an attitude. But in the midst of this, you're struggling and you're trying to figure out what are we going to do? We had these great plans, this grandiose vision of what tonight was going to be. And I forgot to make reservations. Shoot. You probably, y'all probably have never been in those shoes before. That's just me. But imagine that very first Christmas. Mary and Joseph had just come off of a remarkable, a crazy journey. And Joseph walks up to the inn and says, hey, reservations for two, almost three. I mean, and he looks at his bride-to-be in just great anticipation, like we're about to give birth to a son. And then the guy on the other side says, good luck with this, sir. You're about to have a silent night. This is just not going to work at all like there's no room in fact we've got a manger in the back that you might can give you 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 might could stay there maybe maybe that'll work some cows and horses in there maybe a few sheep there's a trough it'll work great as a little bed for a baby i can't begin to fathom what mary was saying to joseph in those moments what are you thinking what's wrong with you don't you know who's in my belly like come on joseph this is not right (laughs) that was not a perfect scenario and he continues and it says and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby watching over their flocks at night i don't know about you but if this is like a serious story where this is a a um a savior a king coming in i think you would try to get the other kings to rally around but it was shepherds and they're watching over their flocks at night and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone round about them and they were terrified But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people today. In the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. And I'm sure those shepherds looked at each other and said, it's happening. This is what we've been hearing about. 
This is what's been going on. There's been a rumble underneath. We've been waiting for this Savior, this King. And then all of a sudden, the next words came. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a a manger. I'm sure the shepherds were just scratching their heads saying, a manger? Like, this is the king of the world. Like, how could you not get anything better than a manger? What's wrong with this picture? And he continues on and it says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left and they had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, (laughs) let's go and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was actually lying in a manger, just as they had predicted. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what he had been told about this child. So think about the scenario at hand. I mean, if you were going to give birth to your first child, you probably would not have orchestrated this circumstance. This is not what you would have planned. If if you were going to usher in the king of the world, or so they thought, you would not have orchestrated it to come this way. In fact, if you're Mary, you've just come off probably one of the craziest journeys. I mean, I've traveled places before with toddlers. I've traveled places before without kids. When you begin to travel with somebody that's pregnant, nine months pregnant, you, you look at things a whole different perspective, right? When, when Joseph comes to Mary and says, we're going to Bethlehem. We're going to travel 70, 80 miles and all I've got for you is a donkey. I know you're nine months pregnant. Like that was probably enough reason for Mary to say, Jesus or God, what's going on here? What's happening here? You really think this is wise? You want me to marry him? Do you know the way he plans ahead? And I love this passage in 219, but Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them. In her heart. Mary took every scenario that was going wrong. Every imperfect circumstance. She's probably relaying everything in her mind. From the moment that she first found out that she was with child. And sitting there thinking how can this be. And knowing that she's had, she's had friends. She's had neighbors. She's had family members. Who have been with child without having a husband. And she's seen how that went horribly wrong. And yet she treasured it. She was a woman who was just, just seconds away from divorce before the marriage was even consummated. And yet she's treasuring every little piece, pondering them in her heart. This is a woman who just got off of a donkey after one of the, probably the worst travel experience that you could ever imagine. And had to lay her firstborn child in a feeding trough. And it says, Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Which leads me to ask the question, how did Mary reconcile these imperfect scenarios? Because I really believe that there's something we can lean into. There's something we can learn from as we begin to process. How was it that Mary, in the midst of what was remarkable tragedy by any other stretch of the imagination, she was one who was able to not say, oh man, I want to forget this, but she treasured it. She treasured every single moment. Well, I think one of the ways we can, we can see a little bit of insight into Mary is if we back up a little bit. 
to when this first was revealed to Mary in chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, God sent the angel, of, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a, a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, if he comes to me and says, you who are highly favored, the Lord's with you, I'm thinking I won the lottery. That's me. Sorry. And Mary was troubled by these words, and she wondered, what kind of greeting would this be? But the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will never end. I don't think Mary would have scripted it that way. If you really were to ask Mary, you were to sit her down and say, okay, Mary, let's be honest. Let, let's rewind. Let's go in and let's become the mother of Jesus once again. And you, you tell me what you think would be best. I imagine Mary would probably say, well, let me get married first. Like that would be a plus. Um, I imagine Mary would say, this isn't something that, that I necessarily think God chose me for. Like, why would God do something like this to me? But rather than questioning, Mary, Mary held on to two truths that I think are so valuable truths whenever we begin to reconcile what Christmas looks like. To reconcile the imperfect scenarios we have in life, to reconcile the imperfect Christmases that come to us. I absolutely believe that Mary placed an anchor into the fact that the angel told her, you found favor, that God is with you and that God is for you. That Mary would have never chosen the circumstances at hand, but Mary knew that God chose these circumstances for her. That God was for her and that God was with her. That no matter what happened, no matter what came her way, that she was going to be able to put her anchor in the fact that this isn't how I would have chosen it, but God is for me. This isn't what I would have anticipated, but God is with me. And when you begin to put that anchor in this idea that God is for you and that God is with you, it changes the circumstances. In fact, shortly after that, Mary had this song that was going on in her head, right? She had this song that she was singing, and my boys, um, some call it brainwashing. I think it's just cute. They, they want the Aggie song right now. It's like, brainwashing maybe. I don't think so. I think it's just teaching them right. Anyway, I... But Mary had this song that, that was a response to what God had done inside of her, the response to this message. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. Now you think about this. You, you know what's about to come of you. You know the questioning of your character, the frustration that's about to happen, the potential divorce. You know the ramifications that are coming forward in you having this child and yet she's able to say my spirit rejoices and he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done something great within me holy is his name how does mary reconcile her imperfect circumstances she chose to believe that regardless of what came her way, that God was for her. She chose to believe that regardless of what came her way, that God is with her. 
And I believe those are two powerful statements that we, regardless of our circumstances this Christmas season, and I don't even begin to want to put myself in your shoes. Whatever this last year brought, whether it was a diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, a change of career, whatever came your way, may we be reminded of what Mary said, that God is with me, that God chose me for this and he is for me. So how does that take place? What does that look like? I believe it's simple. I say simple. I believe it's, it's a constant reminding of ourselves that everything's going to be okay. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you see the daunting circumstances that are coming your way, may we be reminded of Mary's song, basically saying everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be all right. Why? Because God is with me. Why? Because God is for me. Because, if, because God loves me and he believes in me and he's chosen me for such a time as this. So when, when we're dealt with the struggle, when we're dealt with the frustration, and, and hear me out, I do not want to make light of the circumstances that come your way. But I would ask you to join me as we're reconciling an imperfect Christmas season. Would we put our anchor in the fact that God is for you and that God is with you? God is for you. Regardless of what came your way, God is with you. Regardless of what happened, God is for you. Even when it seems difficult, may we choose to believe that everything is going to be okay. As we close today's message, I've asked the band to come up. I I love song. I love song because it is an opportunity for me and for you. It's an opportunity for us to basically take our prayers and our ideas and our thoughts And really cement them within our heart. And I've asked the band to come up and to play a song that probably is very familiar. It's not necessarily Christmas-y. But I believe it is absolutely a song that can be a reminder. That as we work to reconcile our imperfect Christmas. May we be reminded that God is with me. And that God is for me. And that at the end of the day. Everything. It's going to be okay. God, we love you. God, I thank you for the faith of a teenage girl that shows us generations later that when life deals you an unfortunate hand, we can be reminded that God is with me despite the struggles and the questions and that God is for me, that God has found favor in me. And God, I just ask that this Christmas season, as we get ready to to exit this place and go and begin the hustle and bustle that is food and gifts and crazy and trees and who knows, maybe a white Christmas. Doubtful. It'd be nice. God, I pray that we would take a moment to pause and to place our anchor into the fact that we, even when it's difficult, we will choose to believe that you are for me. And even when it is hard, we will choose to believe that you are with me. And we will remind ourselves that everything is going to be okay. God, I love you and I thank you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.